historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Welcome to the Inside Israel podcast. In the last episode, the Supreme Court, we dealt with the role of the court and the accessibility of the court to the common Israeli. I chose to concentrate on the Jewish identity of Israel vis-a-vis conversion to Judaism and much more. We only touched on the dramatic struggle between the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, of course, and the court. I spoke about the fact that the struggle emerges from the role of the court, among other roles, as the checks and balances to the Knesset. I also said that many Knesset members feel the Supreme Court, usually 15 justices in total, has way too much power, especially since they were not elected by the people as they, the members of the Knesset, were. Now look, I'm not being overdramatic when I say that this struggle could lead to a very different rule in Israel. Some say the struggle threatens Israeli democracy. So, I asked Abraham Silver to rejoin us. Abraham is a senior Israeli educator and lecturer at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Welcome, Abraham. It's great to be back with you. So, Abraham, I'm going to go off on a complete tangent now because I just think this is so interesting. Both you and I have visited the Supreme Court with many visitors to Israel and explained about it. And here's what I want to ask you. You are an architect by profession, and I want to ask you about the architecture of the Supreme Court. It's a fairly new building. I mean, it's from 1992, but that's fairly new for Israel, I guess. Tell me about the architecture of the Supreme Court. This is just a great question because the architecture reflects the values that we're talking about here. And in fact, the most important aspect of the architecture of, of the Supreme Court was the question or the challenge for the architects was build or design a building of grandeur that can inspire grandeur, but that wasn't Greco-Roman in its language, wasn't classical architecture in its language, meaning no Roman columns or pillars or anything like that. And they came up with a building which speaks towards concepts of justice and truth from a Jewish lens, mainly biblical, but also Talmudic, in that lens, as opposed to, again, classical architecture. But the most important thing that to say about the Supreme Court building is that it is unassuming. And why is it unassuming? Meaning that if you stand in front of the Supreme Court of the United States of America, you feel small. You're supposed to feel small relative to the law. But in Israel, and I mean this with complete respect, in a lot of ways, when you're walking up to it, you might be walking up to a dentist's office. And the reason why that's true is because it's supposed to be inviting you in because you are supposed to have that direct access to justice. It doesn't want to make you feel small. It wants to make you feel empowered when you walk in there. And that is the greatest aspect, I think, of the um, design of the Supreme Court. They took Jewish values, as I said, and implemented it into the building from where the justices sat during the time of the Bible to concepts of like um, in the Psalms, where it says that you travel in the circles of justice And so it's somewhat circular in the way you move through the building, things like that. By the way, I will say something else, which is it it transformed international architecture to a certain extent. And that is that it showed that one could build postmodern building with provincial values as opposed to just an international style of values. And it affected global architecture. You mentioned empowered. And before we dive into the complexity and power struggle, I'd like to ask you if you agree that the Supreme Court is indeed accessible to the common Israeli. You have direct access to the Supreme Court here in Israel. So I've got this great story where I um, used to live in a kibbutz and two of the kibbutz kids were accused of cheating on a national matriculation exam. 
They got zeros and they were expelled from school for a period of time. And they claimed they didn't cheat. The place that addressed their grievances was actually the Supreme Court. They went directly to the Supreme Court and said, we didn't cheat on this exam. It was a national matriculation exam, which meant Ministry of Education, a government institution. And they had direct access to the Supreme Court to argue their grievances. And in fact, the Supreme Court decided that they did not, in fact, cheat and uh, reinstated their grades. Now, let's go a little deeper and try to understand the power struggle between the legislator and the justice. Why do you think there are many Knesset members claiming that the court has excessive power? We are in a situation where one of the things that what we kind of forget about Israel is that we are a young country still. We're 70 something years old, but we're still a young country. And because we're a young country, the mechanisms of government that we wrote down, which are our basic laws, aren't perfect. And it has created a power struggle between the Supreme Court, the independent judiciary, and the independent legislature, which is not unlike any other democracy and certainly democracies that are evolving. In fact, the United States went through a process like that in the 1830s or 1820s and 30s. We're going through that process too, as we're trying to struggle between what does it mean and who has over overreach or oversight in these two independent um, uh, branches of government. The Israeli Knesset members, those that, are, that oppose the excessive power, quote unquote, of the Supreme Court, as far as I know, are usually more on the right-leaning political philosophy. And they claim, hey, we're, we're elected and the Supreme Court is nominated, and there's only 15 of them. How can 15 people dictate to an entire country that are not even elected? Obviously, that is a give and take between the legislature and the judiciary. The judiciary is there, in fact, to decide whether or not laws that are passed match our quasi-constitution, our basic laws, match what they believe is the legal aspects of a democracy. The legislators are frustrated over the fact that they think that they have too much power. To a certain extent, the legislators are correct. And that is because we do not have what America would call the congressional override. We do not have a parliamentary override over the Supreme Court. That was left out of those basic laws. And in fact, well, you correctly identify that it's the right wing legislators that are mainly worried about this or concerned about this or screaming, hey, they have too much power. The actual issue of, well, where does a parliamentary override over an independent judiciary exist is actually an issue for everyone in society. And in fact, the um, jurists and the, and the lawyers speak about this as well, whether they are right wing or left wing. What's interesting is that in reality, it is a legal issue that, as I said, is real. But in real life, there have been over 30 years, maybe 20 laws, and they were mainly clauses, not an entire law that was actually struck down by the Supreme Court. Supreme Court does not want to be involved in decisions like this. In fact, it has a lower strike down rate than other democratic countries, especially the United Kingdom, Germany, or the United States. Abraham, in your opinion, should the Supreme Court be the checks and balances to the Knesset? I think the answer is that that is, in fact, exactly what the definition of checks and balances are. The independent judiciary is the checks and balances to the legislature. The legislature just can't pass anything. And in fact, one of the laws in our basic laws is that the legislature has to live up to the values of the of the Declaration of Independence. This is a little bit tricky because 
the court uses a concept called interpretation by objective purpose means that they have the right to say what are those values or how do those values get translated or more accurately that the value is more important than the letter of the law. Now, some of them on the right wing is saying, who are you to determine the values? But in my opinion, that's an amazing statement to be able to say, we're gonna take the values of the society into account and not just the letter of the law. I have a great story about that. And that is that, and it's not a Supreme Court story, is that a friend's family, they had they inherited property. It was a farm. The brother was still working the farm. The sister's husband wanted to sell the farm so that they could, you know, sell it to real estate investors or that the brother should buy them out. The brother didn't have the money to buy them out. And the sister's family, the sister's husband was already wealthy and it went to the court. The legal proper thing to do was that they he either bought them out or they sold the property. That was legally right. But the judge turned around and the judge said, that's your brother and he's earning a living. What are you doing to him? And he threw it out of court. And so I think that interpretation by objective purpose actually has a place. So that story sounds great. But then again, it's one judge that decides for a family. The question that the Knesset arises is, hey, we need to rein in the power of the court. What do you say to that? So one can understand that, wait a minute, you're determining values. So how do we rein you in? And this is the tremendous argument that's going on right now, which is whether you're left or right, it's true. There should be a Knesset or parliamentary override. The Supreme Court cannot be just supreme without checks and balances in the other direction. What's going on in Israel right now is that the right wing is saying a 61 seat majority can override a Supreme Court decision. Well, that's ridiculous in the sense that that means that any makeup of a government can just do anything and there won't be real laws that are enshrined. What they're going to present now is to say, yeah, the parliament can override the Supreme Court and say, wait, we don't like your decision, but that's only with a supermajority. For example, two thirds or three quarters. If they move in that direction, they will wind up having everyone on board, leftists or rightists, jurists, lawyers, everyone, because there should be some oversight over the Supreme Court as the Supreme Court has oversight over the legislature. Do you think maybe we should copy a little bit of the American system where you have two houses that could be checks and balances? Should there be an additional house like in the U.S.? Well, that's an interesting question. And by the way, like in the U.K. as well, to a certain extent with the House of Lords, that is an interesting question. I don't think it addresses this particular issue, meaning this is issue of legislature versus judiciary. Whether or not there's a place for us to have a House of Lords to look at the UK model is interesting. And maybe that actually could be more expansive, meaning perhaps if we had a House of Lords, they could actually take those moral issues onto them. And what I mean by that is my imagined response to you would be, what if Israel had a House of Dignitaries that weren't obviously Lords, but were just prominent people across the Jewish world and not just Israeli that could take on the role of morality for the Jewish people. But that's a different issue than legislature versus judiciary and oversight or checks and balances between the two. But I want to go back to another comparison with the United States. The United States has a constitution and the Supreme Court of the United States defines what is constitutional. Now, in Israel, we don't have a written constitution as of yet. I'm not sure we will have one in the near future. And my question is, would this power struggle between the Knesset and the Supreme Court subside to a normal degree if Israel indeed had a constitution? What we have in Israel is we have a thing called basic laws. The basic laws act as our constitution. They're the basis of how we run the Knesset, how we run the government. 
what the president's position is, et cetera, et cetera, all through various different basic laws, including what is similar to the Bill of Rights in the United States. So we basically have a quasi-constitution. It's not clear that we need to enshrine it in any other way. I want to return to what I said. What's missing within that is this check and balance where the legislature does have some oversight over the Supreme Court. We have that missing. If we just added a clause to our basic law of the judiciary that says that the Knesset in a two-thirds vote can override a Supreme Court decision, all this problem would go away without another house, without a upper house, without any without a constitution, without anything. This problem would go away. But I still want to go back here and say this. In the last few years, you hear criticism of much more than just the Supreme Court. Some politician went as far as to say, as far as to claim, there's a deep state rule in Israel. What do you say about that? I think that it's a little bit tricky. We do have the circumstances which we have a lot of the way we decide things are not like the United States. So, for example, there's a committee that, that, that chooses who, um, who that nominates who the, the new Supreme Court justices are going to be. Who's on that committee? I, I know that you've gone over this, but who's on that committee is people from within that world. And so that world is perpetuating itself on the one hand. So one could argue that's a deep state. On the other hand, it's the right wing that's arguing over a leftist bent, a leftist leaning deep state. And the truth of the matter is the right wing has been in power in Israel, basically dominating power since 1977. If you haven't figured out how to manipulate the systems of government towards your ideology yet, then maybe you should get thrown out and somebody else should come in. Like what kind of deep state are we talking about? when for the last 40 something years, the people that are complaining about a deep state have been the state. Well, on that note, I wanna say the following. It seems that if you ask the common Israeli, and I say common Israeli, I'm kind of putting aside some of the Haredi ultra-Orthodox population, but if you ask the common Israeli to compare between the Knesset and the Supreme Court, I venture to guess, I'm pretty sure actually, that Israelis would say that the Knesset is corrupt and people are just there for their own egos. And, you know, they use all kind of other superlatives. And the Supreme Court is actually somewhat glorified. Not somewhat, but it is glorified. What, what do you say about that? Yeah, and you can imagine that that's kind of true. I Meaning you can imagine why that's true. Look, in Israel, the single branch of government which is exalted, the most respected, is the army. And you can understand why that's true. But the second one is actually the Supreme Court, in spite of all of this criticism and these issues. And of course, if you were polling right-wing people, that would be less true. And polling left-wing people, that would be more true. But across Israel, and again, you know, we're talking about the mainstream Zionist Israel. The Supreme Court is actually well-respected. But you can understand that people also aren't foolish. Their independent decisions aren't really ever cutting down the legislature they may be checking them a little bit, but they don't cut them down. They don't abuse their power in any kind of way. And they're kind of beyond rebuke. In, in fact, I don't mean beyond rebuke. I mean that their their actions are beyond rebuke. So, yeah, I would agree with you. And I think that that's really true here in Israel. We have general respect for the Supreme Court. And we understand that the independent judiciary actually makes, makes us a functioning democracy over that Knesset, which could obviously descend into dirty politics. Abraham, as always, it is wonderful to be educated by you. And I wanted to thank you for being with us. And as always, it's a lot of fun just to talk with you. And thank you for having me. The ongoing constant struggle between the legislator and the justice will not subside soon. Having said that, maybe that is Israel's solution to a healthy democracy. If you like Inside Israel, please share with others. You can access all of our episodes 
on InsideIsrael.fm, on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, and more.